All right, I want to welcome everybody to the master's class here at Life Change Church. Life Change Church. And we are in the book of Genesis, chapter 19, verses 1 through 29. We skimmed right through chapter 18, didn't we? After spending three or four weeks on chapter 17 and sneaking into 18 at the same time. But now we're in chapter 19, and we're going to be talking about God's judgment of pervasive sin. Now, before I begin, I want to tell you that I get to be politically incorrect today. Oh, do I get to be politically incorrect. Now, I have to admit that I actually enjoy that. But while I enjoy it, I do want to make sure that everyone understands a couple of things about the topic of homosexuality. Homosexuality. First, the Bible condemns homosexuality in all of its forms, including being gay, lesbians, civil unions between two homosexuals, Literally all of the letters of LGBTQ, the Bible condemns them all as sin. And we're going to talk about that in our lesson today. Now, the second thing is that we as Christians must reach out to people involved in this sin with the same concern that we show for any other kind of sin. It is our purpose here on earth to win people to Christ, and that includes homosexuals. That includes homosexuals. So, should we be direct with them about what the Bible says about homosexuality? Absolutely. Should we prevent them from coming to our church to hear what the Bible says about homosexuality? Absolutely not. The church is supposed to be a place where sinners can come to find Christ, and they can't do that if we don't allow them in the door. Now, Should we condone their lifestyle and accept it in our society? Absolutely not. And we are going to talk about what God does to a society that does condone and accept it. Now, in our lesson last week, so you can see I'm going to be politically incorrect today, right? In our lesson last week, we saw Abraham as a wonderful picture of a man living the life of faith. Communing with Christ, even acting as a mediator between Christ and the judgment that is about to come to Sodom and Gomorrah. But now the picture changes. We leave Hebron on the plains of Mamre where Abraham dwells, and we go to the city of Sodom where Lot dwells. Now in chapter 19 we have a picture of one of two things. Either a sinful man in Lot, living in a sinful world, or a believer who has turned his eyes towards the things of the world and away from the things of God. So let me ask a question. How many of you know the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah? Everybody in here know that story? Yeah. It's a pretty familiar story, right? Uh, You guys have all been attending Bible studies for a while, and and you, you know the story. So let me ask you a question. Was Lot saved or not? Lot? Now, the Bible tells us to judge a believer by his fruit, right? Did Lot have much fruit of the Spirit showing? 
No, he, he was living in one of the most wicked cities ever uh, to exist on the earth. And we're going to see that he had been appointed a judge in that city. He was a man of position. He was supporting the very policies and laws that encouraged the sin that had taken over this city. If the only things we had to judge Lot by were his actions that are described in this chapter, then our answer would have to be, no, he was not saved. Ah, but Peter tells us something else. Peter tells us something else. 2 Peter 2, 7-8 through says, And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Now notice what Peter calls Lot. He says, for that righteous man dwelling among them. So Peter tells us that Lot was a righteous man. He was saved. Now the Bible also tells us that when a believer is living in sin, the Holy Spirit is constantly convicting him, right? That's one of the ways that you can tell somebody is saved is if they're living in sin, the Holy Spirit's going to be making them awfully uncomfortable. Now, they're going to be making him unhappy or, as this verse states, vexed his righteous soul from day to day. Now, it is true that eventually the believer's heart can become hardened to the Holy Spirit's words. Now, I, I just don't think that Lot had come to that point yet because... Peter says that their actions still vexed his righteous soul. Now, when Lot chose to live in Sodom, it was a day that led to tragic consequences for him. And when you look at the complete story of Lot, you see that this decision cost him his whole family. Now, there are many people today who may be saved, but due to their lifestyle or where they live, they lose their family, their influence, and their testimony. Now, each of us probably know a Christian like Lot. Amen? You guys all know somebody like that? I do. Now, we believe they are saved, but now you would never know it by the way they live their lives. Now, the truth is, the sad truth is, this may describe some of our own lives. Just because you come to church, just because you come to hear me teach, doesn't mean that you have a relationship and are saved with God. So what was so bad about Lot living in Sodom? I mean, it's a city, and most cities are corrupt in one way or another, right? Well, Sodom is named 48 times in the Bible. I had to go uh, in my computer. I can search for words, and they can tell me how much all, all these things and everything. And it lists 48 times that the word Sodom is used in the Old and the New Testament combined. Now, its name is synonymous with sexual perversion. And it stands in the Bible as the prime example of God's judgment without a remedy. Without a remedy. There was no recreation of those cities after God destroyed them. No remnant that was used to rebuild the society with. God destroyed these cities permanently. And when Jonah walked uh, the streets of Nineveh, the judgment he proclaimed was canceled. Why? When repentance and revival came. 
And the judgment of the flood will never be repeated, and God has pledged himself to that by the rainbow in the sky. But in the case of the flood, there was a remnant in the form of Noah and his family to rebuild the human race. However, for the sins of Sodom, there was no such remedy. There was no such remedy. Paul tells us in the first chapter of Romans that a society that tolerates this kind of sexual perversion is a totally abandoned culture. Now, this would be the society that has Gay Pride Week, where the states legitimize marriages between two homosexual people, and where gay people become entertainment stars of the society. They are portrayed in commercials and TV shows. You almost can't see a commercial anymore with two uh, gay people kissing on each other, right? Even the schools in this society teach the children that this lifestyle is not only accepted, but it's preferred. This would be our own society today. Would you agree with that? I firmly believe that we are quickly approaching a time when God will have to act in judgment on our country and our world. The overthrow of Sodom provides us with a direct example of how God reacts to this kind of perversion. Now, given the same set of circumstances, God will act in the same way as he did before. There is no change. Now, one other important side note that I'm really not going to spend time on, although I know you guys would like me to, but I want you to notice something, and that is that it is through the destruction of Sodom and the just-in-time escape of Lot that we are given a picture of the rapture of the church just prior to the judgment of the tribulation. You think about that. It's a picture of what's going to happen. Now, as I said, I'm not going to spend any time on that, but I want you guys to uh, at least know that. Now, if you remember from last week, the Lord had told Abraham that he was going to visit Sodom and judge for himself the wickedness of that city. I believe that that investigation has already happened when we begin our verses today with the visit of the two angels, and the Lord is not mentioned. You'll see that the Lord's not mentioned in this, as he was in the visit with Abraham. Now, the purpose of the visit by these two angels is to not only see the wickedness of Sodom, but most importantly, to bring Lot out of the city so the judgment could happen. So as we read these verses today, we are shown why the Lord has decided to bring a judgment of complete destruction on these cities. And the first thing that we see is the unholy morality of Sodom was a prevalent thing. A prevalent thing. Chapter 19 of the book of Genesis, verse 1, says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now, notice where Lot is sitting when these two angels come up. It says, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. Now, in last week's lesson, Abraham was sitting in the door of his tent when the Lord and the angels came. And here we see Lot sitting in the gate of Sodom. And this is important because it gives us an understanding of the full nature of Lot's involvement in this society. Well, you see, those who sat in the gates were considered judges. Now, this tells us that Lot had become one of Sodom's highest officials, a member of its legislature, 
charged with upholding the laws that supported the perverted lifestyles of the people of Sodom. Now, isn't that a great place for a Christian to be? Yeah. Now, notice how the angels appeared to Lot. God says, and there came two angels to Sodom at even. Now, this verse tells us that suddenly two angels appear coming toward the gate. And they had appeared as men to Abraham. The verses uh, talk about them are up, up, approaching as men. But they were angels in front of Lot. That doesn't tell us why there was a difference here. But it does tell us that they were described as angels to Lot. Yet we're going to see later on that Lot's friends of the city saw the angels as men. And I believe in their case it was because it would have been way too much for them to see them as angels and still deal with it, right? And we get to verse 2. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in. And this is Lot talking. I pray you unto your servant's house and tarry all night and wash your feet and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And we see here that Lot hurries out to meet them and offers them the hospitality of his house. And notice some of the differences between Abraham and Lot. First, Abraham had a tent, and Lot had a house. Why did Abraham have a tent? Because he was a pilgrim, right? He wasn't settled. So Abraham was a pilgrim, and Lot was a citizen of the city. And then third, Abraham was living for the celestial city. Lot was living for Sodom. And then lastly, when the angels visited Abraham, they gladly accepted his hospitality. Yet with Lot, they were curt, saying, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. They didn't want to stay with Lot. Then verse 3 says, And Lot pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered into his house, and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. Now, notice that Lot was concerned for their safety, and as the verse tells us, and he pressed upon them greatly. And that is because Lot knew the streets of Sodom were unsafe, especially at night. Now, the evil of the city was prevalent throughout the entire city, and nobody knew better than Lot the kinds of things that went on at night in the streets of the city. So he pressed them. And this means that he was urgent, or he was insistent that they come into his house. Now, certainly as a member of the city administration, he knew exactly what type of animals would roam the streets at night. Then next, we see not only was the unholy morality of Sodom a prevalent thing, the Scriptures also tell us that it was a polluted thing. Verses 4 and 5 says, But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, and they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to see thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Now this is truly a, a sickening scene which reveals just the entirety of the pollution of the souls of these men and the total degradation of the city of Sodom. And it is because of the prevalence of this sin and the pollution of these souls that the name sodomy has been put on this sin from that day into this. Now, most societies, especially those that existed during the time, this time period, 
had a religion of some sort that exists as part of the fabric of the society. And I am sure that it was the same for Sodom. I would imagine they even had churches that condoned this type of behavior, even taught it as acceptable. Much like the churches in many of our cities today where the church tells them that they're all right, homosexuality is all right, that it's not your fault, because they must have been born that way. Now, when a society has chosen to ignore the moral truths of God, they search for ways to support that view. That's how we got the theory of evolution, right? That's how we got the theory of evolution. Everybody wanted to do away with God. So they force their opinions on others. Nobody's doing that today, are they? No, no. No, they look for ways to make sure it is normally the accepted view. It is the normally accepted view. And they use the media, they'll use churches, they'll use schools, and they'll do anything to force the acceptance of their views. And they will even use violence, as we see in our uh, verses here, to enable them to practice their desires. So let's start talking about the sin of homosexuality. Now, I want to be real, real clear here on this point. The Word of God is very specific on this, and you cannot tone it down. Sodomy, or homosexuality, is an abomination in the sight of God. Leviticus 18.22 says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Leviticus 20.13 says, If a man also lie with mankind, as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination, and they shall surely be put to death, their blood shall be upon them. Now, it'd be very difficult to read these passages and not understand that God will bring judgment upon the one who commits the sin of homosexuality. Now, all sin brings judgment, and all sin can be forgiven, including homosexuality. It is certainly apparent to me, though, that the Bible has especially strong words about homosexuality. And it is apparent to me that God wanted there to be no question in our minds about his view on homosexuality. Now, contrary to the popular opinion and the so-called science of today, these scriptures tell me that if a person is a homosexual, it is by his or her conscious choice. And it is against the stated will of God. And the appropriate punishment will be administered by God, whether or not the courts and the laws ever do. Now, if it were a sickness, as society would have us believe, then why would the holy God call it a detestable thing and state that punishment for this sin is death? Now, if it were okay for the individual to choose a homosexual lifestyle, then why would God say the person who chose that lifestyle was worthy of death? Now, someone will say, Oh, Brother Keith, it is my body, it is my life, I will use it, I and live it any way I choose. That is absolutely, certainly correct. You can do that in a heartbeat. God gives us the free will to choose how we live our lives. We can choose to live a life of direct disobedience to God's absolute truth that homosexuality is a sin. However, 
Choosing to live in sin is not scriptural, and you cannot say that it is. And it has the consequences of God's judgment upon that sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20 says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So now someone else will say, yes, Keith, but that's such an Old Testament view. Show me something in the New Testament that says that. What, what the law was back then does not apply today because we are a much more enlightened people. Much more enlightened, right? If the Bible in the New Testament says in Romans 1, 26 and 27, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change their natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. First Corinthians 6, 9 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, meaning homosexuals, nor abusers of themselves, with mankind. Now, what was wrong in the Old Testament is wrong today. God does not change. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And James 1, 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. When Jesus came, he did not abrogate the law. He simply made it what it originally was intended for, to convict us of our sins. Matthew 5, 17 through 18 says, Think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I come not to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. All right, so our society today is just plain wrong. It's just wrong. Homosexuality is a blatant, horrible, detestable sin. But now that does not mean that we as Christians should treat these individuals any different than we do any other group of sinners. Our response should be one of Christian concern for the lost soul of the person who is wrapped up in this sin. Our response to homosexuals should be to try to win them to the Lord, but we can never, ever condone their sin. All right, I've been on my soapbox here for a little while, uh, but I wanted to set the ground and, and set the stage for what we're getting ready to see. Any questions, comments before I go on? All right. So let's go back to the text of our verse. And in verse 5, the men that had surrounded Lot's house were demanding that Lot give them the visitors that were there. And they were shouting, Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And if you know what that means, that means they want to have homosexual acts uh, with them. Now when Lot chose to go down into the city of Sodom to live, 
And I can believe that he did not realize what kind of city it was standing on the outside. Yeah, when he got down there and he found out that the perversion was the accepted practice of the people, he made a conscious decision to stay and bring up his children in that atmosphere. Now, when he made the decision to come to Sodom, he had looked down there and he had seen the lovely streets and the boulevard and the parks and the public buildings, and he had seen the people as they were on the outside, but he had not seen them as they really were. And he had to be thinking that since he was one of their politicians, since he was an important man in their city, that they were going to treat him differently than they did each other. Our verses today show that these men had been thoroughly polluted by sin to the very core of their soul. Nothing was going to stand in their way. Our nation believes that sin of this kind is acceptable. Our laws have been changed to treat homosexuals as a protected group, just like the handicapped and or a, mi a minority. Now, this is the result of an attitude towards sin today that says sin is not what God says it is. It is what society says it is. It is what society says it is. Now, the lesson of Lot and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah is a lesson for this generation. Man may accept this kind of behavior as normal, but God does not accept this kind of perversion. Now, there are those who believe that you can become a child of God and continue on in sin. God says that is impossible. You cannot do that. And Lot is an example of that fact. Now, I'm sure if you had asked the people of Sodom if they were religious, Many of them would have said probably, yes, I'm religious. I go to church every week. However, Paul asked the questions in Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now the idea that you can be a Christian and go on living in sin or support and condone the sin of those around you is a tremendous mistake. Don't tell me that the book of Genesis describes a primitive view of God and that we have a better, more enlightened view today. Don't argue that after all, Jesus received sinners. That's absolutely true, he did. But when he got through with them, he had changed them. The harlot who came to him was no longer in that business. When she came to God, she changed. A tax collector named Matthew came to Jesus, and he gave up that which was crooked when he came to the Lord. If you have come to Christ, you will be changed. Now, many people try to explain that we are living in a new day and that we need to wake up. And that is true. We are living in a very new day. But it just so happens to be the same old sin that everybody's wanting to do. It just happens to be Sodom and Gomorrah all over again. Amen? Amen? amen. Hey, everybody been kind of weak on this now. Amen. amen? All right. So, we have seen that the unholy morality of Sodom was a prevalent thing, and we have seen that it was a polluted thing, and now we're going to see that it was a persistent thing. Verses 6 and 7 says, And Lot 
went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. So notice what Lot said to the mob outside the door. He said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Now, this is a brave thing for Lot to do, to put himself between the mob and those two angels. But notice two words in this sentence. The first is brethren. It is an indication of how far Lot had fallen that he would call this group of morally deprived people his brothers. Now, when you choose to live among an absolutely corrupt society, it warps your thinking. What once would have been reviled by you now becomes an accepted practice. Today, we are so inundated with foul language and sex on TV and at the movies that it fails to bother us anymore, as it should. As Christians, it should bother us to be around sin. It should offend us to hear the name of God used in vain. Now, the second word is wickedly. Now, notice that at least Lot called what they were trying to do as wicked, okay? But the question must be asked, was it because he thought that the act of sodomy was wicked, or that it violated his code of hospitality. For in the culture of Lot's time, visitors were considered to be under the protection of their host. And a clue as to what Lot really thought comes in his next set of verses and his next action. Verses 8 and 9 says, Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known men. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as good in your eyes. Oh my, 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 my. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. So what's the answer to the question? Was it because he thought what they were doing was wicked? Or because of his code of hospitality? It's his code of hospitality. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow, meaning Lot, came in to sojourn. And he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. So now, Lot's sense of right and wrong was so warped that he offered the mob his own daughters. That was not what the mob wanted. God tells us, and they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. So Lot's offer of his daughters was of really no interest to them whatsoever. The men were indignant that Lot would interfere with their right to practice their version of sex. No longer was this an act uh, conducted in secret behind closed doors. The city considered it not only to be a legal act, but a constitutional right to commit this act. They had the right to indulge their perverted lust when and where they wanted, and any attempt to stop them would lead to a right. And who was it that said that we did not need laws against homosexuality and for the protection of marriage? Oh, my, 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 my. The more I read and study about Sodom, the more I see our own country in these words. Next, we see if the unholy morality of Sodom was a prevalent, polluted, and persistent thing, then it was certainly a punishable thing. If not by the laws of Sodom, then certainly by the laws of God. And this is true for us as well. If our society will not punish this type of activity, 
then God most certainly will. Verses 10 and 11 says, But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Notice how the angels reacted. It says, And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great. And, and it was so that they wearied themselves even find the door. Now this is a pattern that is repeated in the Bible. Those whom God would destroy, he first makes blind in some form or another. With Pharaoh, God hardened his heart. In the coming tribulation, God will send great delusions so that they will believe the lie. It is a dangerous thing to flaunt God's laws with arrogance and persistence. All right, so now let's switch to Lot's backslidden witness. Now, in this next set of verses, we're going to see the price of a hypocritical witness. Lot, when faced with certain doom for his family, must now convince his family members that everything he had accepted and supported for years was wrong and worthy of complete destruction by God. Verses 12 and 14 says, And the men, or the angels, said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides, son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy you. And Lot went out and spake unto his son-in-laws, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Now, in order to be a witness for God, a Christian must have moral authority as well as spiritual authority. It is one thing for a lost person who has been living in sin to suddenly proclaim they have found Jesus and that he has changed their lives. People see that dramatic change and ask how that could have happened. It draws people in when they see the power of God making a change in a person's life. It is quite another thing for a professing Christian to live in acceptance of the perverted acts of society, condoning and supporting the laws that allow it to exist, to suddenly start professing that God is coming in judgment. A Christian who has lived a backslidden life has lost the moral authority to teach others through their life example. Now, if you want to preach to your kids about the sin of drinking, you can't stand before them taking a drink out of a bottle. If you want to teach young people about the sin of sex before marriage, you can't be having sex with the members of the class as soon as the class is over, right? That kind of hypocrisy drives people away from Christ. It is actually one of the strongest and most often mentioned reasons as to why someone does not want to become a Christian. They have just seen too many Christians that have lost their moral authority to state that they live a life that is different and that God makes a difference in their life. And this is the problem that is facing Lot. He has lived in this city. He has raised his family in it. He has supported and condoned the laws of the city that allowed this perversion to grow. And then suddenly, he is trying to tell his children to leave all of this because God is going to come in judgment against the very thing that Lot has been supporting. Now, their reaction was predictable. To them, he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Now, 
Then with the rejection of Lot's sons-in-laws, the angels brought Lot and his wife and his two daughters out of Sodom so that God could destroy the city. Verses 15 through 22, it says, And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest they be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which hast showed unto me in saving my life. I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil take me, and I die. Uh, like, he wasn't going to have that in Sodom, right? Uh, <laughs> behold now, this city is near to flee into, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And the angel said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, and, and that I will not overthrow this city for which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything until thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor. So next we come into the destruction of Sodom, verses 23 and 25. And the sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zor, and then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of these cities and that which grew up upon the ground. So now God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he destroyed them with brimstone and fire. And then we are given a great biblical truth in the actions of Lot's wife. Verse 26 says, But his wife looked back from behind, and she became a pillar of salt. Now the angels had told Lot and his family in verse 17, To escape for thy life, look not behind thee, lest thou be consumed. So why do you think that Lot's wife turned around and looked back? Now I think the reason is because she didn't want to leave Sodom. She loved Sodom. She loved Lot too, but it was the Lot from Sodom that she loved. And she didn't want to leave it. She was probably a member of the country club, the sewing club, the Shakespeare club. In fact, there probably wasn't a club in town that she was not a member of it. And I can even imagine that they met and studied religion in a nice little religious club there as well. You know, she was right in the thick of it all, and she just didn't want to leave it all. And today it's the same for us Christians. The world has a lot of attraction. Many people want to have one foot in the world and the other living in God's will. But it doesn't work that way. In order to become saved, we are commanded to repent of our sins. Acts 3.19 says, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now, the word repent is an expression that has always been given to God's people as a challenge to turn around, to stop what they are doing. And it is translated from the Greek word metaneo, which means to change one's mind for the better, heartily to amend with abhorrence of one's past sins. 
Now the word repent can be defined as walking down the road in one direction, stopping, turning around to go back in the opposite direction, never looking or going back the way you were going. Now this word is much more than just saying that you are sorry to God. It is agreeing with God that what you did was wrong and committing not to do it again. That is much more than just saying I'm sorry and then going out and doing it again. Lot's wife was not repenting. For her body may have been following Lot out of the city, but her heart was still in it. Now notice that the word repent has meaning to both the saved and the lost. For the saved, it means whenever the world has become your focus, you must repent of those sins and turn back to Christ. Rather than following the path of the world, it means placing yourself in the center of God's will. It means putting both feet firmly in the direction that God has given you to go and never turning back. Now for the unsaved man, when he believes in Jesus, he must also repent of his sins. Faith means to turn to Christ. And when you turn to Christ, you must turn also from something. If you don't turn from something, then you are not really turning to Christ. So repentance is a part of believing and trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior. When you are lost, you really have no choice in who your master is. Satan is a master of all lost people, and they are slaves to him. But once you are saved, you then have the power to choose God as your master rather than Satan. And when you repent, you turn from Satan to God. Now, the second reason that Lot turned around and looked back at Sodom was that she did not really believe God. Oh, God's not really going to destroy that city. When the angels told Lot and his wife to leave and not look back or they'd be destroyed, Lot's wife just did not believe them. Lot believed them and he did not look back. Lot's wife turned back and she was destroyed. Now the world and the things of this world are not where the believer's faith should be focused. Jesus told us of the impending judgment of the world that we live in that is yet to come. Luke 17, 31-33, and it says, In that day... He which shall be upon the housetop, and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. God's promises are true. To live the life of a Christian means to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot live the Christian life under our own power and strength. We're going to fail to do that every single time. We must be filled with the power of the Spirit of God. It is only through Him that we can choose not to look back on the things of the world. And the only way to live a Spirit-filled life, a life with the power of God guiding you each day, is to truly repent of your sins, to say no more to the world, and to tell God that you want to follow Him. Verses 27 and 29, it says, And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the lands of the plain, and beheld, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. And when Abraham, he looked down towards Sodom, I think his heart was sad. I'm not sure whether he knew whether or not Lot had even escaped. He probably learned about it later on. 
And when he looked down there, he probably was sad for Lot's sake. But Abraham had not invested his heart down there. And when the judgment came, it did not disturb him at all because he wasn't in love with the things of Sodom and the things of the world. 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So as Christians, our love cannot be of the things of this world. Our home is no longer here on this earth. We are pilgrims on this earth. We are here for one purpose only, to bring others, including homosexuals, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We love them enough to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.